Welcome back to the Messy Reformation. My name's Jason Rice. I'm the lead pastor at Faith Community CRC in Beaver Dam, Wisconsin. My co-host is Willie Cronkey. He's a member at Pease CRC in Pease, Minnesota. We're just a couple of guys who love the Christian Reformed Church and want to see Reformation happen in our denomination. But we realize that whenever Reformation happens in the history of the church, things get messy. And after this past synod, and looking forward to this next synod, things are really starting to get messy in the Christian Reformed Church. So we're taking the opportunity to have conversations with pastors throughout the Christian Reformed Church to find out what's going on in our denomination, but also to talk about what Reformation might look like. If you haven't already, take a moment, click subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming content. We're dropping episodes every single Sunday evening. We also want to say thank you to everyone who sponsored us on Patreon. We're slowly making our way to our modest goal of 20 sponsors at $5 a month. So if you appreciate what we're doing and want to help us continue to put out content, head on over to patreon.com slash themessyreformation. You can also support us for free by sharing our content. I'm a terrible self-marketer and everyone knows that now, so I need your help. If you know of anyone who would benefit from listening to this content, let them know about the Messy Reformation. With all that said, we're going to get to this week's episode, which is part two of our conversation with Juan Sierra. That's for two reasons. One, there's so many first-gen people who've had kids who have the second-gen is just blowing up, and those kids are also you know, Spanish speakers or just Latino in general. And then, and also that we're still getting people, you know, coming to this country. So what is it? What do we do with that? That's an incredible, huge ministry potential. Um, Meaning that, so that means that statistics means that like our neighborhoods and many of our cities are becoming more and more diverse, more and more multicultural. So the question is, does the local church reflect that? Does the local church look like that? And if not, what can we do to to do that and to help grow churches that will reach people that maybe you're not reaching, right? Because sometimes in church planting, it's not that, hey, I'm going to change this church so now it can reach people that it can't. That doesn't always work. But maybe we can plant a church that will reach the people that we can't reach. And I'm so passionate about that. I think we need to be planting more churches and in particular, more ethnic churches. and so. If there was one message for the CRC, I would have, it would, it would be to do that. Yeah, no, that's well said. Um, I'm wondering, Juan, if you can comment on this. This is just this is my personal thought. Um, as I was at Synod last year, and I was looking amongst the uh, the ethnic advisors and those in, in the more minority communities, it is those communities that are in the CRC right now that are hungry most for I would say a a confessional bent, a confessional drive, um, being instructed in the word. I mean, these are things that I just saw very prevalent at Synod. Um, Some of the the ethnic churches were some of the most uh, orthodox churches. Um, I'm wondering if you can kind of speak to that, if if you kind of resonate with that. Yeah, I find that uh, I find that to be very true. I find that most of the ethnic churches that I uh, come across are actually more orthodox and more traditional by nature. Um, than than those, you know, who are in this fight like we're seeing in Synod. You know, I remember seeing some criticism last year about, oh, this is so 
Lily White, and that's why the you know what happened happened, and some people accused. But you know, the the truth is is often complicated. Um, I'll just give my classes as an example. So I, I represent classes southeast. Classes southeast um, is one of the most diverse classes in all of our denomination. We have many Latino pastors. We have African American pastors. We're we're quite diverse in in as a classes as a whole. If you came, you would have a great time. We all get along. But you know, I think we sent um I think we sent four 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 white guys. And we didn't do that as um as as an intentionality of race. We just sent our four best people who wanted to two two things, our four best people and who wanted to go. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yep. And guess what? It ended up being the guys that were. So it's like, you know, we can't always be throwing out the race card of like, oh, you know, it's because, you know, only the white people want to fight about this and that. And it's like, no, it's just, you know, part of it is that. And then I, I think as as a friend of mine said, who's a pastor, who's a Latino pastor said, um, you know, he's like, we're just not interested in that fight. You know, we're, we're about doing the work mm-hmm. and other things. And it's like, okay, we'll let you guys fight that out. And, you know, we're going to go do other things. Yeah. <laughs> that's Not a, that we don't have an opinion about no, it, you know? No, amen. 100%. That's been, that's been my experience too. I, I've got a really close friend in uh, a Hmong church up in Sheboygan and uh, it's um, a, th- a thriving church, right? There's three, 400 people in it. It's growing. They've got a lot of really good ministry there. And as I've talked to him about it too, he hasn't explicitly said that, but it's basically he's hinted at, he's like, you know, we've got a lot of really good stuff happening in our church. We're really busy just trying to shepherd our own people. We don't have time to be dealing with the denomination. You go fight the fight in the denomination. Thank you for doing that. But, uh, but we're, we're here, right? We've got our own ministry that we're taking care of. And I think yeah. that's probably fairly true. Um, when I speak with like Jose Reyes as well with when he's talking to different churches throughout Consejo Latino and, and so on and so forth. That, that's a, that's a pretty general uh, feeling that I've heard too. Yeah, no doubt about it. And, and you know, and I think we, you know, hopefully there'll be a day when we don't need, you know, ethnic advisors that, you know, will be more multicultural, even as a denomination. I mean, for now, it is what it is. And it's it's good that it's there so that, you know, we have those voices being heard as well. Um, but that doesn't mean that those voices aren't like, you know, like what we were just saying, it's not that they're not out there. It's just like, you know. They're like, we, we got other things to do. We just, and some guys are also, you know, practically speaking, some guys are also intimidated by the whole Robert's rules and learning all these procedures and all these things. And yeah. some of these guys, you know, uh, are bivocational. They have a lot going on. And they're like, you know what? I'm not going to go spend the week in Senate to go, to go fight this, you know, yeah. when my congregation is, you know, already made up their mind about this. I'm just saying as an example. Yeah. No, I, I hear you on that. I, I want to talk a little bit more about, um, because I, I think you're, I think you're hitting on something really important, um, for the future of the, the CRC. And you said this, I just want to talk about a little bit further that probably the future of the CRC is church planning, but also more, more than just church planning, church planning and, and reaching some of these ethnic uh, minorities in, in our communities, because that, that population is exploding. Right. And, uh, especially like in Minnesota, I know, and I've been working on getting some of the statistics and now that I'm in Wisconsin, but I know in, in Minnesota, um, I had a professor that, that was really uh, passionate about this. He, he ran a ministry called city vision. And so he was working with the twin cities and he was pointing out, 
that in the Twin Cities, and this was five years ago now, 10 years ago now, there were 750,000 first generation immigrants in the, just in Minneapolis, yeah. the St. Paul area. And he's saying like, the world is coming to us. <laughs> you know, we don't need to be going out to the world so much anymore. The world is coming here and mostly from closed countries. Let's start doing the work of ministry here. And, uh, and yet we haven't really planted any churches in, in the Twin Cities area, right? And, and so I've been really trying to encourage us to do more of that. But, but some of the struggle has been, too, like in our own classes, some of our struggle to plant churches has been finding church planters, who are wanting to, to step into that role. But um, anyways, what, what, what are your thoughts on that for, for the future of the CRC? Yeah, I think it's going to take some creative thinking. Um, so, you know, if you've been to Grand Rapids, you know that there's churches on every corner, but now, you know, on every street, there's also churches that are closing down. Yeah. Right. So what if, you know, before we close down a church, we think about, you know, what if there's a planter who could use this building and we could lease it to them for like, you know, a dollar a year or whatever it is, because we don't need the money and they can plant, you know, for a, um, I don't, I mean, like, for example, I know, I think in the Grand Rapids areas, you know, there's like a Nepali group, you know, or an Indonesian group or a group, you know, whatever it may be. Like you said, there's just, there's so many nations that are coming into all of these cities. Um, now that's more applicable, right? We're, I, and, and I want, because I want to be fair, because people may be hearing this, you know, like, you know, this guy is all like woke or whatever. <laughs> but, you know, like, like I had a buddy of mine, you know, in seminary, and, and I went, I went to Calvin Seminary. And, you know, so I was like, you know, hey, you know, uh, what about, you know, are there any ethnic ministries in your city? He's like, no, like my city is like 98% white. So it would be unfair for me or anybody to go to that guy and be like, why don't you have, you know, black people in your church or why there are no, you know, Latinos in your church. You're just not trying hard enough. I'm like, this dude's probably working hard enough, but they're just, you know, there's just not, uh, I think Willie, you know, add to that as well. <laughs> well, yeah, that, that was one of the speeches that, that I made at Synod. Um, I, I had gotten into conversations where people had been asking, you know, Oh, do you think it's because of, you know, racism or kinism, whatever, that there are not more, minority delegates here. And I thought, well, I, I'm going to take a look at my own classes first, because I can speak most clearly to my own context. And I said, let's look at Pease Church. I'm pretty sure I'm the only black guy in Pease Church. <laughs> so I, I keep saying, and and I was sent um, as, a, as a young adult representative. I said, you can only send those whom you have in your midst. Uh, and uh, we we at some point need to realize that some of these areas are just completely ethnically homogenous. Now, mm -hmm. is that a good thing or a bad thing? I would say no. It is just the way that it is. It is a neutral thing. Um, it, I don't think there's anything necessarily virtuous, you know, in the fact that mm -hmm. you have six or seven different ethnic minorities represented in your congregation. I think the New Testament and the word of God cares more about how your church is gifted and not necessarily yeah. the ethnic makeup. Would you agree with that? Yeah. I mean, because, because the, the inverse happens. So like, if you were to go to a church and like deep, deep Miami, you're going to find some churches that are like a hundred percent Latino. Where are That's the white right. people in that church? They don't have them, you know, <laughs> some of them do, but some of them don't. So, I mean, the inverse can be, you know, or, or a church that's like deeply urban, right? It's like all black. Are you then going to tell them like, hey, you guys, where's all the, where's your white people? I mean, 
it you can't you know you can't use this as a yardstick right mm-hmm. it's got to be like you know it's got to work for its particular ministry particular context um uh, for what it is so you know as far as like you know who's who's going to senate or you know who's going to be represented i mean it's it's so it's it's so much more complex than let's say having quotas you know yeah. or saying you know we need to have this or need to have that you know, but going back to your question, so I mean, you, you've probably know this and you've heard this. You know, we tend we tend to gravitate to people who who look like us and are like us, right? So we walk into a room, and we gravitate to people who look like us, whether that is same skin color or maybe same age. You know, like I was at a church, you know, the church that my wife and I visit because uh, we're in a different city, and this guy gravitated toward me, even though I'm I'm not white, but he's white because we're in the same age bracket. Everybody else was there was older. Right. There's things that we naturally draw. So I think part of the answer to your question is if that's true, right? If we're naturally drawn to people who are like us, then those are also the same people who are going to be able to draw the planters that we need. So if in our particular classes, we're like, man, we would love to have some more ethnic churches. We do that. Well, guess what? Then you're going to have to bring in somebody who can help draw those people in because you might not be the guy, right? You need to find the person, you know, the man of peace who can draw that person in who speaks either literally their language or their culture to be like, Hey, do you want to start, you know, planting some churches here? And there may be some guys who, who God may be already be at work in that. If, you know, I tend to think that if we, if we have the right intention and the right sincerity of heart, God is going to bless that. Right. If we start looking, because sometimes people will say, well, I can't find anybody. Well, how hard are you really looking? (laughs) And who and who are you having search, right? If the person is searching, but he doesn't really have any friends that are not like him, he's not going to find anybody. He's just not. But if he sends me, for example, I could I'll go find five guys for him easily. You know, <laughs> if he's yeah. looking for Latino pastors, you, you get what I mean. So I think that that's got to be part of the part of the equation in our denomination is if we want to help solve this problem. We have to expand those who are searching, maybe those in leadership, and and really kind of think a little bit more creatively about this. Yeah, I wanna I wanna ask a question. I'm I don't think I don't know if this is controversial, but I know there's some different differing opinions on this because because I think some people would say, well, so like I'm in I'm in a, a small town, Wisconsin, but we've we've got a pretty high a high percentage of of not just Hispanic, but Mexican in particular. So it's almost like 10% of our population. And so we've got a couple uh, Spanish speaking churches in town. One meets in our building. So we do have a little bit of that, but, but some people would say like, well, why, why are we going to plant a Spanish church or a Mexican church? Why shouldn't we just try to make it so that, that we can have an integrated body that reflects the community. Right. Um, So what do you, what do you think about that? Because um, there's the one hand where you're saying, well, we're going to reach this population that, that really struggles with English and, and is going to have a hard time being in our, in a, in an English speaking church. And yet on the other hand, you want to have a body that, that does represent, you know, represents your community as well. Boy, that's a complicated thing. Um, I, I think, you know, like many things, it can't be an if or, but an, and, but yeah. Right. So I don't think the solution is, well, we can only do this, so let's not do it. <laughs> yeah. uh, this is the only solution we can think of. So there's just all sorts of different flavors, right? So there's churches who 
they get a guy and he plants that church and it's within their church and they share ministry or they share a building. Or maybe you get a guy and now you're merging your churches together, right? There, there's obviously complexities because you're not just talking about language. You're talking about culture. Like how far do you want to go? And again, I mean, the 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 culture of your city is what really helps to dictate that. Mm-hmm. So what I mean by that is an example where, where I was doing ministry in Port St. Lucie, the majority of the Latinos there were bilingual. So eventually, you know, I realized, you know, the people who were coming to my church were not really coming out of necessity, the majority, right? I, I had some first gen, but even the first gens, many of them who came had already been here long enough, they were bilingual. So one thing I did right off the bat to give an example, and, and I'll get a little bit more back to your question is um, right off the bat, I made the children's ministry English because I knew that their kids coming were going to be English speaking. Um, and, and we ended up doing some bilingual because we did get a couple first gen kids. Very, It was very rare. Um, but we did that because it was something for the kids to be content because obviously they could study the word and come to church in their own language, which was English. But then the parents were happy about coming because, you know, they wanted a service in, in Spanish. It wasn't because of necessity. It was because of comfort, right? Because there's a certain comfort in culture. You know, sometimes, you know, certain Western people, you know, and I'm not going to say white, just Western people who grew up in the U.S. don't know any language. They can't really fathom that. They don't understand well, why would somebody need something different in English in their own language. I'm like, okay, well, have you ever been overseas? Have you ever traveled to another country and no one speaks your language, but then all of a sudden someone bumps into you and they're American. What happens? You freak out. You're Mm -hmm. like, Oh man, you're from the U S I'm from the, you're so happy because somebody speaks your language, speaks your culture. And it's, it's not anything different than that, but I think it's even deeper than that because we're talking about doing ministry. We're talking about reaching people for God. Right? So their heart language is their language. So like I was just telling you, um, these people who were coming to my church, they didn't necessarily need it to be in Spanish, but that's where their heart would sing, right? That's how they could worship. That's how they, they could express themselves and feel alive. So how every church meets that need is a complexity. It's very different. Um, and mind you, this is not just a problem for Anglo churches. This is a problem even for Latino churches. Last year, I was at a meeting with, um, you know, several uh, Latino church planters from different countries, and they were talking about church planting in the in the U.S. for Latinos. And one of the things that was brought up, I brought it up, and some others brought it up. We were talking about is, you know, even within our own community, it's what what it means to be Latino is changing. Okay, uh, and what it means to be Latino can be totally different from one city to another. So if you go to Miami, you know, you're going to meet a Cuban American, either second gen or first gen. You know, I'll give you as an example, some Cuban Americans, their their first gen parents taught them, hey, don't speak Spanish in the home. Uh, you don't need to learn it. We want They wanted them to be so integrated. They changed their names because they wanted them to be completely, with, you know, compliant with that. Um, that's not the same story for every single Latino. You go out west to California, you meet Chicanos, right, who are second, third, fourth, some are sixth or seventh generation Mexicans who don't speak a lick of Spanish, but are more Latino than me. (laughs) Because being Mm -hmm. Latino is more than just language. It's about culture. 
about how you dress and what you eat and what music you listen to, who your parents are, what your country represents. So doing ministry to ethnic people can be complicated because, so in other words, you can have, so I'm going to circle back in other words to answer your question. You can have, let's say in your church that's English speaking, all sorts of ethnicities that are English speaking, right? So all of a sudden now your church is multicultural, but, but only doing English. It doesn't mean that you needed, right, to do translation, but maybe you did. Um, <laughs> um, maybe not. So that that's my Weasley way of trying to answer your question because there's no there's no easy answer for it. Yeah. Oh, well, you nailed it on the head. I I 100% agree with you on it. Uh, there is no one way, and and we I mean you 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 describe the experience of my congregation as well because. We do have a Spanish-speaking church that meets in our building. They, they worship on Sunday afternoons. And they actually, uh, depending on who's there, when I talk with the pastor, they switch from all all Spanish services to all English services. They kind of switch back and forth depending on who's there. But then even in my own congregation, we have probably about 10% of our church is our English-speaking um, Latinos. And so, um, and they feel very comfortable in our church and they feel, and that's really the thing that I've been trying to tell people on this issue, as far as I, rather than looking for quotas is like, are, are, do people feel comfortable coming into your congregation if they're from a different, um, and so like from a different, not just color, but like you said, like a different people group or a different culture, do, do they feel comfortable and welcome in your, in your mm-hmm. congregation? Because we had, uh, we also have a, a fairly large Laotian population around us. Not, I mean, it's not massive. We're still like a typical Midwest city where we're primarily white, but there's a pretty significant Laotian population. We had a Laotian family uh, come into our church and they said, man, we just felt welcomed and loved. We felt part of the body. And, and I was like, well, awesome. That's so good. Right. Yeah. That, that, yeah. that means we're doing something <laughs> good here. Right. Because they came in from a very different cultural perspective, but they just felt welcomed and, and loved and and dove right in and were part of our church. So, so that's really the, the, rather than quotas, the line is, do people feel welcome? And if they come in and they don't feel welcome, then, then you need to check, check yourself. Yeah. And to go back to what we mentioned earlier, as those people start to come and feel welcome in your church, they will draw in other people. It only, it mm-hmm. only takes one, you know, and then they're going to go tell others, you know what? I look different than the people in this church, but they welcome me. I love their service. You should come too. And next thing you know, your church is, you know, becoming more and more multicultural. And then you may later face those problems of like, do we need to add a second service in their language? Do we need to have an interpreter? Then you may later face those problems, but you may not face them, you know, right at the outset. Yeah. Amen. Well, as you're, uh, we're kind of coming closer to the end. We're not all the way at the end of our interview, but as we're coming closer to the end, I, wa- I always like to kind of start forcing us to look forward. And and really, particularly, we we talk a lot about denominational issues about the Christian Reformed Church. And so, um, as as you look forward for the future of the Christian Reformed Church, what what kind of steps do you think we need to be taking as a denomination in order to see reformation happen in the Christian Reformed Church? Yeah, I mean, I think some of it, you know, we've talked about a little bit in particular, um, reaching more, I think, communities and and church planting. Um, I think, you know, we got to keep up with the number of churches that are being closed for, you know, for every church that's being closed, we should hopefully be starting a new one. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, But 
what that means and what that looks like is going to take some creative leadership and thinking um, to address a different thing. Um, maybe that will mean that more and more people are going to need to become bivocational. It used to be that bivocational was a dirty word. Um, but, you know, for those of us in the Latino or African-American community uh, and even Asian community, that's like that's the way it is. Mm-hmm. Um and it may be, you know, that's hopefully now becoming a little bit more accepted. But one thing that by being bivocational does is, is allows you to go faster in the sense of it allows you to plant more churches. It allows you to like get more guys who are willing to do this because um, obviously they don't need to leave their job. They can still be doing what, what they're doing and, and keep planting churches. I mean, that's what the Pentecostals have done. They've been planting yeah. churches like crazy because all those guys, you know, when the majority of them are bivocational. So I, I think, you know, th- that's part of it. You know, I think some of this other stuff that's going on right now that's controversial, that's going to work itself out. I don't really feel like I need to comment on that because between last year and this year, it's all it's all going to work out one way or another. Um, but I, I, I love my denomination and I fear for my denomination if we don't start uh, cranking out guys who want to plant churches and who want to be church planners and want to start. Um, you know, when I was in seminary, you know, a lot of the guys that I was there with, you know, some of them were legacy guys. I mean, my dad was a pastor and my grandpa was a pastor. And that was weird for me because I had never met anybody like that, you know. Uh, <laughs> but I didn't really meet anybody who was like, oh, I'm so passionate about going to plant a church. And I'm like, what? You know, like, really? I mean, and that's that's the reason I love going to Exponential, that I was there last week and, and want to be around those kind of people. Um, they're really trying to lead a movement of like, you know, people who are on fire for God of, you know, going out and starting something and multiplying. That's how we're going to, you know, get get to multiply, you know, as a, as a denomination, if we just uh, keep doing that. I think um, we, we probably got to start thinking about how we're educating and preparing guys for ministry. Uh, what does that mean and what does that look like? Um Obviously, we need to have people prepared, but the way that, you know, I mean, really, if you were to look at it, it's it's not really that long ago that uh, Calvin started doing distance learning. Um, mm-hmm. And now they're having more and more distance programs. It's just a reality of our world. What is that going to mean in the next five or 10 years for getting guys out there who need to be prepared to do ministry? Um, and then lastly, I would say, you know, getting getting classes in our denomination to have a passion for leadership. Mm-hmm. What can our classes do to develop leaders? Okay. Not just our local church. What you know, because as a classes, right, we're all donating money and pulling our money together. Well, what can we do with this money to help develop more leaders who will help to like create more churches so that our classes are not dying. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, and I'm not saying that, you know, just so they like our classes is great. You know, I, even in my own classes, we've had to close down churches but we're always trying to crank out new leaders. And so almost every classes meeting that I go to in my particular classes, we have examinations. It's, it's not unheard of that every classes meeting we have examinations and we use that as a yardstick of like, we're always trying to develop leaders who are either going to be leaders in those churches, going to keep developing or maybe eventually plant other churches. So if every class has started to get some kind of mindset like that, then maybe, you know, we can, we can turn things around. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. I want to jump on two things that you mentioned. Well, there's kind of like three things that, that I think you nailed right on the head. 
And, and one of the things that I've been really wanting to encourage people, and I think, I think it's really necessary for the future health of the denomination is to empower classies more. Um, because I think classies just have kind of, I don't know, I feel like like local churches have tried to some some have tried to kind of increase their connection with the denomination, but the classes is kind of in this funky place in the middle where I think classes could be more active and involved in um, more than the denomination even. Um, and and part of the reason I and I don't know what that looks like yet, but just kind of principially, I'm thinking if we could empower classes more to to start working and, and doing that kind of ministry, I think that would be helpful. And that. And that really just, I think, fits with this overall trend we're seeing throughout throughout the United States of everything's becoming less institutional. Um, everything's becoming more local and, and kind of smaller, right? People are looking for smaller businesses, more local, locally sourced things. And just all there's this kind of trend where everything's getting smaller and more local. And and so like I think big big high level bureaucracies of, of institutions are not, not the way of the future. I think we need denominational structures. I think the CRC is set up to actually move into the future really well, because we have this, you know, bigger structure with classes and then local churches. But, but I think we want to give more power and, and empower classes on a different level, um, utilize them on a different level. But then that also means that what kind of fits into with what you were saying one is that I think if everything keeps getting smaller and more local, that means I think churches are going to get smaller. I think the mega church is a thing of the past, and uh, and we're going to see another, you know, big thousand member churches are going to disappear, and you're going to see a lot, a lot of hundred member churches. But in order to fix that, in order to address that, you need ten churches for every one church, uh, which means you need a lot of planting, the church planting to go on, and then. Again, to just connect with what you said, in order to plant a lot of churches, what do you need? Church planters and leaders. And so classes need to, to develop systems, you know, instead of instead of churches saying, well, let's hope that the denomination will raise up leaders for us. I think churches, one, start raising up their own leaders. But two, class should start saying, how can we start raising up our own leaders to plant churches in our, in our classes? Because that's what is going to have to happen. Because we're going to see lots of small churches out there in the future. And, and like you said, there's a possibility of bivocational. I've got this other kind of an idea where um, in the second century church, they, they weren't necessarily always bivocational, but one pastor would oversee like five or six kind of house congregations, right? Which would very drastically change the shape of ministry if that's what you were doing. But but if you had five or six little smaller house congregations supporting one pastor, that that would that wouldn't necessarily be bivocational. I guess it would be like pentavocational because you're serving five different churches, I guess. But but either way, there, there's different ways to think of regionally um, in the future. And I think we're going to have to figure that out. But but uh, I just want to say an amen to you on on, uh, on your suggestion for reformation moving forward is more leadership development, more church planning. And, uh, and I, and I also want to jump in on this. I think, I think conservatives sometimes get so afraid of being called woke that, that we don't talk about, like the, we, we get worried about the racial reconciliation thing. And, and, uh, I get tired of having to worry about all of that. I mean, we need to be more strategic about, uh, about ministering to the, the, the minority populations in, in our communities. I think we can be really strategic on it, start doing something to reach them. And, uh, and I know some good churches that are doing some really good work in that too, even 
Southern Minnesota, they, uh, I think Worthington, they're, they're doing some really good work with the minority populations there too. And we're trying up here in Beaver Dam, Wisconsin. So, um, anyways, uh, one, we're, we're coming to the end here and we always give everybody an opportunity to kind of give some final words. If you have anything additional you want to say, we've got, uh, a lot of pastors who listen to this, a lot of office bearers in the CRC to listen to this and, and a lot of lay people that listen to this podcast too. So do you have any final words you want to leave them with? Yeah. Um, there was one final thing I'd mentioned earlier that I wanted to share, which was, um, you know, sometimes my ministry, you know, coffee break now called global coffee break. It, it gets a bad rap. Uh, it's just these little old ladies in the church are having this Bible study. What difference does it make? Um, you know, or they're sitting in the basement, they just get together. But, you know, I want to encourage pastors out there who are listening to invest some time in these little old ladies, these coffee break groups, and get to know them. It was these same ladies, many of them, who during COVID contacted us and said, what can we do? We want to keep meeting, but we can't. And we were teaching ladies who were 70, 60, 80 years old how to use Zoom, and they did it. And I, I, I'm so proud of these ladies because they did something when a lot of other people did not. A lot of people who were younger did not, and they kept going. And they, they found creative ways to still meet and still study the Bible. And so I really want to encourage pastors because sometimes, you know, pastors, they let these groups go on and they don't really know what's going on. They don't know about it. And I want to encourage them to go and find out and see what they're doing and, and get maybe more involved in what they're doing because there's some really smart and courageous uh, ladies out there who are just doing phenomenal things uh, for the kingdom in your church and maybe you don't even realize it that's all we have for this week if you want to help us out and support the messy reformation another thing you can do is head on over to the messy look in the menu bar and find join the reformation by clicking on that you can sign up for our newsletter where you'll get episodes sent right directly to your email inbox and it will give us the opportunity to communicate with our audience which is one of the biggest struggles of a podcast so head on over there and sign up for our newsletter now stay tuned next week for our conversation with lincoln russ but until then don't forget this is christ church and he bought it with his blood and we've been warned that wolves will come in trying to destroy the flock so keep a close watch on your life and on your doctrine preach the word in season and out of season and keep fighting the good fight in this messy reformation.